Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Dan Mihalopoulos, and this is a bonus Morning Shift podcast. This week, Chicago marked the first 100 days of the Lori Lightfoot administration. Thursday evening, she delivered her first State of the City address. If you want to hear some great reporters breaking down what they thought about that speech, click on our Friday News Roundup. But we thought that if you were not able to hear the speech, we'd bring it to you unedited, so you can hear the mayor for yourself. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in. Tonight I want to speak to you about the state of our city and our finances. The city's finances impact every aspect of our lives as Chicagoans, guiding how and where we invest in people, property, and places. How the city handles its finances, your precious tax dollars, defines who we are and, importantly, the kind of city we will be. We have some hard choices to make. There's no doubt about that, and I will not sugarcoat that reality. But I am confident with the incredible talent in this city working together, we can make the necessary choices that will put us on sound fiscal footing, not just for today, but for the future. Tonight is not a budget speech where I would lay out in detail every expense and every source of revenue. That will come in October. Instead, tonight is an opportunity where we are to explain where we are today with a budget gap for next year, the steps we have taken to close that gap to date, and ask for your help. We need to come together and find solutions to the tough problems that we face, and we need to do that now. I promised you as mayor that I would usher in a new era of good governance whose hallmarks would be integrity, transparency, and robust civic engagement. That is what I have endeavored to do every day since the last 100 days, and tonight will be no different. Let me begin by telling you we walked into a staggeringly large deficit for next year. And what was worse, we were not left with any credible plan on how to fix this massive problem. If we follow the old playbook, we could have tried to muscle through another historically large property tax increase, relied on a massive borrowing scheme, short-change pensions, or some measure of all of the above. I fundamentally rejected all of those approaches. So what we did instead was rolled up our sleeves and got to work to address this fiscal crisis. We focused on creating a foundational shift in the way that the city not only balances its budget, but also in the way in which we looked to the future. First, by in the short term, creating structural efficiencies in the way we spend your tax dollars, laying the foundation for a strategy that shifts the focus to investing in our people, our neighborhoods, and not just in our central business district. We are working to create a real growth strategy that deals everyone in, regardless of neighborhood or zip code. In just over 100 days, we have not solved every problem, 
but we have laid a foundation on which we can build a better, fairer, and more prosperous Chicago for all. And let me share some of the things we have done so far. I vowed to you during the campaign that I would be a better fiduciary of your tax dollars, and we are well on our way. First, we started the process of bringing integrity back to government. You know that on my first day in office, I signed an executive order ending the practice known as aldermanic prerogative. Next, we passed one of the most comprehensive ethics reform packages in recent memory. These included placing restrictions on outside employment, expanding oversight to ensure every elected official plays by the same rules, increasing fines for ethics violations, and limiting the influence of lobbyists in City Hall. How does government reform and integrity relate to city finances? Well, if you don't have a government that you trust, one that has legitimacy, we cannot move forward together, making the tough but necessary decisions that will transform our future. A government that you can trust because we operate transparently is a core tenet of our democracy. These reforms that we have made are a critical component of showing you, not just saying it, but showing you we heard you and we will be better fiscal stewards of your hard-earned tax dollars. Aside from ethics reform, we have also started combing the city budget and contracts for efficiencies and savings. Here's where we are so far. We have taken important steps to professionalize the $100 million a year workers' compensation program. That program had been under the control of a single alderman who is now under federal indictment. There was zero transparency in that program. An independent audit found that well over 600 claims were open for over a decade without any resolution. And even though the city had paid almost $300 million towards these open claims, and the program was ripe for fraud, waste, and abuse. Just by professionalizing that program, we expect to reap significant savings. I also hired and empowered the city's first chief risk officer, Tamika Puckett, to address and identify areas of risk in city departments before they become a costly mess. This is a significant development in your favor. We have also started looking at our borrowing practices and making changes there to save money. For example, we will be replacing high-cost debt, kind of like how homeowners refinance their mortgages, which we expect to generate $100 million in savings alone. We eliminated $1.4 billion in short-term borrowing from big banks, which is expected to save $22 million in interest and fees. We have also canceled contracts with vendors who have not delivered goods or services as promised. We will never tolerate being shortchanged in any bargain that we have struck. We are also cracking down on absenteeism and medical role abuse. It should be an obvious point that city employees are expected to work a full day for a full day's pay. Now, most city employees work hard every day to deliver for the residents of this great city, but some do not. 
those employees have been able to game the system for far too long. They make a mockery of the people who come to work every day and deliver for our, our residents. And those games are over. On August 20th, we implemented a hiring freeze across city government. And we are implementing measures to crack down on departments that have significant unbudgeted overtime expenses. And working with the chairman of city council committees, we have ended the practice where certain committees exceeding their budgets by hundreds of thousands of dollars as a matter of routine. City council leadership understands that everyone must live within their means, and I am grateful for their partnership. Each of these measures represents important, serious steps towards addressing our financial challenges. And come October, I'll address those challenges further in my budget speech. In addition to these initial efforts to get our fiscal house in order and disrupt the status quo, we have also taken steps to better invest in our people and our neighborhoods. Our long-term solution out of this fiscal mess must be premised on a growth strategy that deals in all of our neighborhoods. Small businesses and homeowners, individuals and community-based institutions must be part of this strategy. We must expand opportunity, expand our tax base, and expand our population. We need to continue to give residents and businesses of all stripes reasons to stay, to come, and to grow. There is much to do to realize these ambitious but necessary goals, which are critical to our long-term fiscal health. One of the things that I am most proud of as mayor is our unequivocal support of immigrant and refugee communities. Now, why do I reference this important work in a speech about municipal finance? Because our growth strategy has to include continuing the reality of Chicago as a welcoming city. Contrary to the xenophobic rhetoric, immigrants contribute to our economy in significant ways. They always have. There is a reason why Little Village is a home to the second most vital commercial corridor in our city. But when people live in fear, they don't shop in their local businesses. They don't go to work to make those businesses thrive. I stand with immigrants and refugees because it is the only moral choice. In addition to being present in immigrant communities, I have spent time in neighborhoods that have historically not seen investment or even the presence of a mayor in years. I have listened to the stories of low-income and working-class families like the one I grew up in, Mothers and fathers who are struggling to put food on their tables and for whom one unexpected bill could mean financial disaster. What I knew before and what has been reinforced over these last months is that we need to build additional supports for low-income and working families because poverty is constantly knocking on their doors. Lifting people up and out of the grip of poverty will not only close the wealth gap, 
with all of its terrible consequences and expand the pipeline of workers, but will close life expectancy and health gaps that rob people of their ability to fulfill their God-given potential. This is both a moral and fiscal imperative. Thus, our pathways to fiscal health have to run through households and neighborhoods like Roseland and Rogers Park, Austin and Inglewood, from the southeast and the southwest, and neighborhoods like Pullman and Park Manor. We must lead with public investment along with private partnerships to catalyze neighborhoods where generational poverty has people in its cr crushing grip. We have taken other initial steps towards creating a thriving economy for all. This includes the passage of the Fair Workweek legislation. Through the leadership of Alderman Susan Sedlowski-Garza and with the support of business groups, we passed legislation championed for years by organized labor that will give thousands of workers predictable schedules, which means predictable cash flow, and that makes for better, more loyal employees and stronger families. We took meaning. We also took meaningful steps along with City Clerk Anna Valencia to curb Chicago's addiction to regressive fines and fees system that has punished those least able to bear the financial burden. We instituted reforms on payment plans, reducing city sticker penalties, and ending driver's license suspensions for non-moving violations. The city of Chicago was headed in the wrong direction by sending people into bankruptcy, taking their cars, and preventing people from being able to work and contribute to the economy. We have given people the ability to be made whole again, and more to come. And we will institute a $15 minimum wage in Chicago starting in 2021 and not wait till 2025. And we, are and we are going to end water shutoffs for residents facing significant financial hardships because water is a basic human right. These initial steps are important to shore up individuals and families who aren't just living paycheck to paycheck, but are constantly on the cusp of financial ruin. They need the ability to go to bed at night knowing that they can take care of themselves and their families. Chicago has not abandoned them, and growth in financial wealth must include everyone. But even these efforts, even with these efforts, there is so much more that needs to be done. For all that we are doing and all that we will do as a city, we are also a city held back unable to live up to our full potential due to the enormous systemic financial challenges we have struggled with for decades, and even greater financial challenges we face going forward. While our path forward will be challenging, we will do it the right way, together with the values of transparency, equity, and inclusion shaping our decisions every step of the way. But the reality is, despite all these efforts, 
we still have a sizable gap to fill next year and beyond. When I started as mayor on May 20th, we walked into a projected deficit for next year of $1 billion. Yes, that's billion with a B. And as a result of the efforts we have made to date and changes in our forecasting, that number has decreased by almost $200 million. But that still means that the budget gap for 2020 is $838 million. And if $838 million sounds like it's big, it's because it is. It's the largest in our recent history. A third of that gap comes from increased pension costs. Another third increased labor costs. And nearly $100 million comes from increases in servicing our debt, and $90 million comes from anticipated lawsuits. And nearly $100 million comes from a variety of other costs. To put this in perspective, folks, for every dollar you pay to the city, 80 cents goes to pay for the cost of personnel and benefits along with pensions. But let me be clear. I don't see the provision of pensions or city workers as the problem. The key problem is a decades-long failure to meet our pension obligations and fix the structural problems that have led to this crisis. Now, there are limits to what any mayor can do alone to generate revenue. We have and will continue to explore every reasonable option. And reasonable, to me, means relieving the, relieving the financial burden on those least able to afford it and not driving business out of Chicago. These two principles will guide my decision-making about revenue options. As your mayor, I cannot in good faith promise you that I will take any option off the table to tackle this crisis, whether it's through budget reductions or by raising revenue. But what I can tell you is that I will work tirelessly to ensure whatever options we take will be made with transparency and with working folks in mind. And on this, we have already gotten started. We are committed to a graduated real estate transfer tax. This will bring relief to homeowners whose houses sell for under $500,000, while owners with higher-valued homes will pay more of their fair share. We are committed to addressing homelessness and housing instability and putting real resources towards these problems. We are exploring options to address rampant congestion that solves the problem of traffic, pollution, and other issues while simultaneously bringing in a fair share of funding. And we are working to develop a policy to stand up a robust cannabis industry, one that will not only generate revenue for the city, but creates new business and job opportunities for black and brown people who have been the victims of the war on drugs and who to date have been mostly excluded from legitimate medical and recreational markets as entrepreneurs. And importantly, we are pursuing a Chicago casino that creates a dedicated revenue stream to pay for our pension costs. If we get the tax structure right, 
This will represent a structural solution to address long-term problems, not a one-time fix. Not only that, it will also create thousands of jobs, help fund the state's capital plan, and stop the flow of over $200 million in gaming revenue to Indiana. As an independent study made clear, Chicago and Springfield will need to work together to get the tax structure right in order, in order to move this plan forward. Getting it right represents a win for both the city and our state, and there's no reason why we can't arrive at a solution. But we have to be honest with ourselves. If such an agreement isn't made, if we don't secure this casino and the revenue that it creates, we will then be forced to make painful choices on finding other revenue sources. And we all know what those are, the sources we desperately wish to avoid. There still remains more work to do to close a serious budget gap. While we are working towards balancing this year's revenue with this year's cost, two years from now, in 2021, we will have to figure out how to pay for the increased annual cost of over $200 million for public safety services, followed by another increase of $400 million for municipal and labor pensions the year after that. In other words, no matter what we do for this coming budget, Chicago will be on the hook for over a half a billion in new pension obligations in the, over the next three years. But as I made clear many times, pension obligations are a challenge we must meet. Dedicated city workers have fulfilled their careers with the agreement that they will retire with the dignity and certainty pensions afford. Our obligations are not optional. And I will take every action necessary to fulfill the promise we have made. So where do we go from here? As challenging as our finances are, the truth is Chicago is not alone. It's a story being played out across our state. Cities and towns in every corner of Illinois are grappling with rising pension costs. Just like Chicago, they've sold their assets in order to make their pension contributions, only to find that their pensions are still poorly funded. And just like Chicago, many of these towns have been downgraded by rating agencies because their pension burdens are so severe. This increases the cost of borrowing. Just like Chicago has historically done, they've turned to raising property taxes. I want to avoid that measure as much as possible. But if we don't get the structural changes that our pensions need, we will be presented with very hard and limited options. Solving our shared pension problems will require the entire state to come together. People in this state know, as I do, that I-80 is not a border. There cannot be a Chicago versus the rest of the state. All of Illinois. <laughs> All of Illinois is looking for solutions. And to really solve these problems, we have to be partners in reform. Working together in solidarity towards a fair and sustainable solution for every Illinoisan. 
Our fates are intertwined. That is why I, I intend to continue working with Governor Prisker, the legislative leaders, and other state lawmakers, regardless of party or geography. Illinois is only as strong as the cities and towns. We have to do the right thing and work together to solve this problem once and for all. I am willing to lead this charge, but I need you to join me. I am going to press everyone involved to make sure that we solve these problems now. And they must be solved in order for us to realize our full potential of who we can be. It's a vision that sees us continuing our growth downtown, but extending it to the neighborhoods and communities. It's a vision that has us stemming the exodus of families here in Chicago and across Illinois. Doing that means creating good jobs, safe streets, and quality education for residents and their families. It means housing that's affordable for Chicagoans so we can build wealth and become anchors in our neighborhoods. As we move forward towards announcing our budget this October, my commitment to you is to hear from you and to be open and transparent and inclusive as possible. It's time to shine a light on the budget-making process. We've already done this by creating a more transparent budget forecast, which will be released tonight. It includes a summary that Chicagoans can use to understand where their tax dollars are actually going. And I want to hear from you in the coming weeks. We will be hosting four budget town halls across Chicago in order to truly hear from residents, including our city's young people. As I said on Inauguration Day, we should never settle for dividing up a shrinking pie or pitting one part of the city against another. Yes, some of our solutions will be hard. Yes, they may involve putting ourselves at risk. And if that means that I sacrifice myself politically, so be it in pursuit of the right thing. <laughs> Friends, we don't have a moment to lose. Chicago is and must remain the economic engine of our state and the entire Midwest. Our challenges are great, but our ability to solve them is even greater if we work together. It's only by working together as a city and a state that we can become what we need to be, to build and grow better together for a brighter future. Now, now is the time. Together, let's seize this moment to do the right thing, to chart a new course, and to put our city on a stronger path once and for all. Thank you, and God bless you, and God bless the great city of Chicago. That was Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot Thursday night from the Harold Washington Library Center. For complete analysis of the speech, make sure you're subscribed to the Morning Shift podcast and click on this week's Friday News Roundup. I'm Dan Mihalopoulos, and this has been a production of The Morning Shift from WBEZ Chicago. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. 
The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.